0: 52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective and knowledge.
1: You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, and welcome to the Health Ability Project. I'm Robin McKenna. The holidays are a happy, festive time of year. There are all the decorations, parties, shopping and wrapping gifts, and unwrapping gifts, and lots of family traditions. Kids love Christmas, and parents love watching kids love Christmas. Imagine, though, it's the holidays, you're the mom of three kids, and all of a sudden you are really unexplainably sick. After a round of tests, you learn just before Christmas that you have liver cancer. Your gut says that it's not that. So you seek another opinion and learn it's not liver cancer. It's stage four melanoma. How would all of this affect your overall health and well-being? The diagnosis, having to worry about telling your children, and the journey through treatment. This is not an imaginary scenario. Rose Maxfield lived this narrative, and she's here with me today to share her story. Rose, thanks so much for being with me today. I'm really glad to have you. You have an incredible story to tell. But before we get started on your story, I just wanted to share your good news, which you just shared with me, which is your free and clear. Today was a three-month PET scan and you are 100% clear. So congratulations. That is just awesome news. Uh, So happy for you. Thank you so
0: much, Robin. And I'm thrilled to be invited to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. Thank
1: you. So tell us your story. You were originally diagnosed with liver cancer But there was something inside of you that just was not trusting that diagnosis. And so you pursued another venue and found out that you had the wrong diagnosis. Tell us what happened and tell us about your journey, how it affected your overall health and well-being and what happened, what you did about it subsequently. Sure.
0: Well, the week before Christmas in 2020, I was walking my dog as I normally do in the afternoon. And I had incredible pain. And it just felt it got worse and worse as the afternoon went on. And I really thought I had appendicitis. So by 11 o'clock that night, I went into the hospital, the ER in Connecticut. And from then on in, I spent five days in the hospital. They had to help me with pain medication, pain management. And then they proceeded to take scans, MRIs, all sorts of blood tests. And after the five days, an oncologist came in to let me know the unfortunate news that they had found some tumors in my liver and they were going to officially diagnose me with liver cancer, but they couldn't until I actually went to the cancer center after I got dismissed or released from the hospital. So before that happened, they basically gave me the, the scary news and I then went home for Christmas mm-hmm. and I was scheduled to go back to that doctor's office to then figure things out.
1: How in God's name did you get through the holidays with this on your mind? I I chuckle now, but boy,
0: I was not chuckling then. I definitely went into shock and thank God my brother, my friend Andy, and my older son Jack uh, all supported me. I could tell them the truth and I could tell them the news and that alleviated a huge burden off my shoulders, Mm -hmm. but I was near tears every single moment because Christmas is so emotional anyway. Mm -hmm. And my younger children who were 15 and 17, oh, actually 14 and 16 at the time, Mm -hmm. I just didn't want them to be sad. I didn't want to ruin their Christmas. So I just acted like I normally do and sort of bottled it all up. And Mm -hmm. I sort of was a robot. I just went through the motions and i got through the holiday and i honestly i look back at those pictures and inside of me was a feeling of such out of control and hopelessness but i look at the pictures and it just looks like me i'm just sitting there mm-hmm. opening presents giving everyone hugs so i i basically
1: won acting 101 <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I was just going to say, you did a great job. A plus on the performance. What happened after the holidays? So during the holidays, a friend of a friend
0: basically did me a huge favor because I told them, I told my family and friends that I didn't want them to spread the news, but I, I really was concerned that this was the wrong diagnosis. I went on the web which you're not supposed to do. And I was trying to self-diagnose myself. Mm -hmm. And I really just didn't believe I had liver cancer. So through a friend of a friend, I got through to Memorial Sloan Kettering and the head of the liver cancer department, Dr. Abu Alpha, pulled a favor and said, I can see you before I start my day at 7 a.m. the day after Christmas so I hightailed it into New York City the day after Christmas to meet with him. Then in that meeting, he basically did a full check, a full checkup. Um, and we basically talked about my background, my family history. I offered to participate in a DNA study. He basically told me the steps that he was going to do. He was going to request the biopsy from Stanford and do his own biopsy as well in New York at Memorial St. Kettering. And seven to 10 days later, after a couple more visits and many, many tests he performed, he realized I did not have liver cancer. Mm. I had melanoma that had started growing as tumors in my liver, as well as it had metastasized. So it was not only tumors, large tumors in my liver, but it was around my peritoneum, which is the sac that holds all your lower organs Hmm. and a little in my spine.
1: Wow. Wow. Was there any relief at all knowing that it wasn't liver cancer? It was this other form of cancer?
0: Yes, absolutely. So There are treatments for liver cancer, but the success rate of those treatments are not as high as the success rates they have for melanoma. So, 10 years ago, if I had had this melanoma prognosis diagnosis, I would have been given six to seven months to live. And now they have an extraordinary treatment regime through immunotherapy that you are pretty sure you're going to survive and hopefully completely beat it, which now
1: I can say I did. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So you, you learned you had this other diagnosis and then you were able to go back and tell the rest of your family, including your younger children, what was on the horizon. And, yes. and was it battle mode that you went into? Was it, I'm going to take this by the horns and and fight it? I'm... What was your reaction once you knew what your marching orders would be?
0: It's interesting. S- through this process, I've realized that I really like to be very prescriptive on how I'm going to fight and attack this illness, this disease. So I asked so many questions. I always went to all my appointments with someone else that I could trust to help be that second person to take extra notes. Mm -hmm. And I learned what I had to do to survive this and beat this. And half the battle was just staying positive. So every visit, I would smile, I would ask the doctor, you know, how I can make these treatments more effective. And a lot of it is mind over matter, and as well as just good living. So get sleep. Every, everything everyone tells you get sleep, eat well, and try to move. If you can't really exercise, because I really couldn't in the beginning, I was in so much pain, just move. Just get up out of bed, walk to the bathroom, walk around. That's how I started getting out of this black amorphous hole I just started moving and I knew that running which I love was going to save me it sounds crazy but I knew if I could start to walk down the driveway and then sort of hobble down the driveway and then slowly jog down the driveway and every week every month got better the treatments continued and I I took the most aggressive path I did the two drugs at first for four times, and then I did 11-1 drug treatment. So over 15 treatments in total, I am now cancer-free. Wow.
1: That's very impressive. It seems to me that you really drew some strength early on in the diagnosis from the support you were receiving from family and friends that you had in close to let them know that the first phase of this and then it seems like maybe you even drew some some level of strength from your your own reaction your own level of accountability towards this you you sense that it really wasn't the right diagnosis and then you just went in and took control and did what you needed to do and you know, and what you said earlier about positivity being half the battle. And that's very true. I mean, there's evidence, there's evidence on that. There's medical evidence on that. So it's, it's really quite impressive. Did you, did you, I mean, what was your feelings? You were going through it. I mean, obviously you're feeling horribly physically, but it seems, you know, just baby steps every day, a little bit more pushing yourself. What were you thinking
0: I look back at it and I've had a lot of time to think about it. And I think what really motivated me in the beginning when I found out that I definitely had cancer, albeit it wasn't liver cancer, but I had a serious stage four Mm -hmm. melanoma cancer. Mm -hmm. The fear of me not being in the lives of my three children Mm -hmm. and leaving them I know this is going to sound terrible, but leaving them with my ex, I panicked and I just said, I cannot do that to them. You know, I'm still young, very young. And the fear of leaving those children made me stronger, be a better fighter, be, be a great self-advocate. And I naturally don't like to tell a lot of personal things about myself. And I forced myself to tell my girlfriends, my friends, my family. Mm -hmm. I forced myself to give my, uh, the updates, my health updates to all of them, including my cousins, who some of them I haven't even spoken to for years. Mm -hmm. But I wanted my whole family to know that this is in our DNA makeup. And I wanted them to be careful and to take the precautions to avoid sun damage and then perhaps even melanoma. And so I look back at it and say, yes, I definitely went into shock. I'm human. I didn't know what to do. I sort of became a robot. But then every time I thought of my children, I would just say to myself, no, I'm Maybe it was denial, but I was like, I'm strong enough. I'm going to beat this. I never thought I wasn't going to beat it.
1: It it also seems, too, you were definitely outside of your comfort zone when you mentioned that you didn't like to talk about it, but you forced yourself to because you felt motivated or you were acting out of care and concern for others in your family to let them know that this is in your history. This is what I have. And also, too, you know, you know, maybe subliminally, it was also a way to just garner even more support. Um, and I'm sure they all rallied around you. They did. I have an interesting family. My mom's sister
0: married my dad's brother. Oh, wow. And they, okay. they have six kids. We have seven kids. Wow. And we all look alike. And And unfortunately, I have had cousins with cancer. So... I, I wanted to reinforce that this is serious stuff with our family. And I think I got the best cheerleaders I could ever ask for with my, my immediate family, my cousins, and my girlfriends, and my guy friends. Everybody wanted me to succeed. And the instigator that made it so public Was when I became such close close friends with my main oncologist. Mm -hmm. So when it was determined that I did not have liver cancer and I had metastatic melanoma, I switched doctors within Memorial Sloan Kettering, and I met Dr. Allison Bedoff Warner. And as soon as I met her, she walked in. She's this young whippersnapper. She's (laughs) she was so confident and. She was funny and she listened to what I wanted and how I wanted to go at this. And I I told her, be as aggressive as possible. I want to run again. I want to live many, many more years with my children and family and friends. And she just jumped right on it and we hit it off. And every visit I had with her and every treatment, I felt like I learned more about her husband or her dogs or, or her aspirations. And she's so darn smart. And she was leading so many clinical studies and research that she had a lot of facts at her fingertips. So I felt like she was really, really uh, promoting me internally. uh, They met every Friday. She had four other doctors. There were a team of like five, I believe of various disciplines, but they were all oncologists, but they would talk about each other's cases. And through that, I got the best care. So if I had side effects, if I blew up like a pink Michelin man from hives, they knew how to take care of it. If I cramped up like the Tin Man, they knew how to take care of it. I had lots of gastrointestinal issues, there was the guy. I, I had all these people helping me, and it seemed more, I don't know, it turned into an adventure and less of a less of a painful death sentence. And then we became so close that she joked with me about running a marathon. and then we decided we were definitely gonna run. I hadn't kicked cancer yet, but I felt well enough to train for a marathon. And she and I both ran the New York City Marathon together in November of 2021. And then I ran the London Marathon uh, this past October. And it's all to raise money for cancer research because it's when you get through something like this, you just want to keep giving back and hoping that my kids or their kids' kids will never have to go through this. They'll have a cure.
1: Mm -hmm. And is the... Is the cancer awareness for all forms of cancer, or is it for specifically the type that you have been diagnosed with?
0: The running team for Memorial Stone Kettering that I ran on, that's the running team for the entire hospital all cancers. You get to pick where, so when you fundraise and you ask your family and friends to raise money for you or your team, and we were team Mela no more. <laughs> that's great. Um, It was really fun. We basically chose melanoma.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. And that was, that was sort of a brotherhood, sisterhood unto itself as well. I felt like I joined a fraternity of survivors, doctors, researchers, friends, family. We would have Zoom calls. We would talk about people who were fighting for their lives, people that were survivors. We listened to lots of the new clinical trials. We got together and that was also helpful because it a lot of it takes your mind away from your own problem. And you see how hard their lives are or their work is and you're just so happy to help versus oh my gosh, what's gonna happen to me? Um, and it, it's a great paradigm of thinking. I really do think that if you stop thinking about yourself <laughs> and you can start thinking about others mm. more,
1: then you can heal yourself faster. That is a beautiful sentiment and and I believe it wholeheartedly. I think there's probably medical evidence out there somewhere that would that would support that. And it just, I mean, what a beautiful story. I can't thank you enough for being my guest. It seems that you, ha- you had this challenge, people rallied around you, you, you got through it with their support, you found strength in their support, but you also led by example. You didn't let this get you as much as you could. You also had a fabulous team, which I'm sure also gave you strength. As you were explaining the story earlier, and I was thinking to myself, you had the opportunity to get outside of yourself. You know, you've just confirmed it, where you you start focusing on other people and trying to help other people get through what they're going through, which is kind of the purpose of this podcast overall is, you know, all these stories hopefully will help somebody who's listening find inspiration or hope or perspective to get through what they're going through. So lead by example. I mean, I think your, your face should be in the dictionary next to, next to that <laughs> phrase.
0: Thank you. And if I could give everybody just one piece of advice, if you're a cancer survivor, if you're going through cancer, if you're having a hard time and you're sad or whatever, this is a little trick I did. And it sounds silly, but it works. So when I wake up, and I'd be feeling really crappy or tired or overwhelmed, I would physically force my mouth to smile. (laughs) And it helped a little bit. It didn't always make me jump out of bed and start singing for joy, but it did help. And the more I smiled... I, it was like deep breaths for me. So I tried to smile. So I don't know. I hope it works for someone else, but it really worked for me.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. That sounds like it would. I mean, it's it's how, how could smiles not have a, have a positive impact on you or anybody else? So that's, that's an awesome piece of advice. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's quite extraordinary. And are you continuing to run? Yes, I am, but I have
0: slowed down. <laughs> I, I run about four or five miles three days a week.
1: Okay, great. Good for you. Good for you. Thank you. Well, thanks again, Rose. I very much appreciate it. Listeners, if you enjoyed tonight's podcast, please like us, share us, tell your friends about us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach me at... Project at gmail.com. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for joining us today at The Health Ability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to Project at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.